Hashtags, a Gartner Marketing and Communications podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Dorianne Kundick. Welcome to Hashtags, the Gartner Marketing and Communications podcast, where I sit down with some of our best thinkers to share practical tips and strategic insights to help you stay ahead of the curve and add value to your organization. Our topic for discussion today, keeping it ethical in digital commerce. Consumer spending in digital channels grows at a double-digit rate every year, generating a valuable revenue stream. But in the race for revenue, marketers need to beware of engaging in routine e-commerce tactics that are actually unethical and potentially very damaging to their brand. My guest for today is Jason Daigler, who is one of Gartner's leading experts in digital commerce. Jason, I'd love you to just say hello and introduce yourself. Hi, Dorian. Thanks for having me today. Yes, my name is Jason Daigler. I'm a digital commerce analyst, and I've worked in e-commerce really since it was a thing in the late 90s. Uh, I cover digital commerce strategies and digital commerce technologies and also now digital commerce ethics. So I'm excited to talk to you today. You know, let's go ahead and start off by painting with kind of broad strokes here. There are a lot of things that consumers run into online that are not very ethical. You say this has happened to everybody, whether they know it or not. What might that look like? What are customers running into? Yeah, there are some things that could be really obvious, like this has happened to all of us, where you order a product online and it shows up and it's not quite what you expected. Either it doesn't fit or it seems to be cheap or it wears out in a few months and it's just a poor quality. And those are really obvious. But then there are some other things that maybe not be as obvious. Um, Things like uh, counterfeit products where you get a product and it's not actually produced by the brand that you thought it was and you may or may not know until years later when it wears out. Or you could encounter fake reviews online. This is where people leave product reviews about products that are not necessarily authentic and maybe that's what convinced you to buy the product. So Chances are everybody has run into one of those things, whether they know it or not. And it's something that's really increasing, unfortunately. And there's this whole other layer of things that they may never be aware of. And we'll start getting into that a little bit later. It's more in the purview of marketers. Uh, You mentioned that there are a couple factors that make this question of ethics especially timely right now. Uh, The growing popularity of marketplaces and the fact that government is really starting to wade in on this. Tell me a little bit what you're seeing. Yeah, for each of those, I would say first, there's just a general scaling and growth of digital commerce. Uh, Digital commerce or e-commerce obviously really grew during the pandemic when it was some people's only buying option. Uh, Customers became a lot more digitally savvy savvy during that time. My 80-year-old mother started using Instacart, so I know that something was up (laughs) during that time. Um, We also see younger generations getting more purchasing power and just a general growth of e-commerce. But you're right, as part of that, we've also seen a growth in the popularity of marketplaces where the seller or the marketplace operator is selling products that they don't necessarily manufacture or source themselves. It could be through a dropshipping program where they just have suppliers and they send orders to them to be fulfilled. Or it could be a true marketplace like in Amazon or in eBay. Um, Broad B2C general marketplaces are the most common ones, but we also see quite a bit of growth in subsector specific marketplaces, especially in B2B. So auto parts for mechanics or food service marketplace for restaurants. 
it's a it's a really lucrative model for retailers and distributors and wholesalers and one that's really taken off quite a bit. And then finally, you're right. We're starting to see a lot of government intervention in just digital commerce in general. We're seeing more and more cases in the US, in Europe, in Asia Pacific, where the government or regulatory bodies are getting involved in monitoring, policing, and even fining companies that engage in some of these practices. Yeah, and we'll get into some details of some examples that you're seeing on that front uh, very, very recently. Uh, you've compiled a pretty long list of ethical pitfalls. I'm going to ask you to talk specific uh, to them in just a moment here. But first, I'm curious, just your general sense here, is this a matter of underhanded dealings for competitive advantage? Or do you chalk these ethical issues up primarily to negligence? Or do we just have a bunch of well-intentioned marketers pushing boundaries and crossing a few lines as a byproduct of aggressive uh, digital marketing? What do you attribute this to? Yeah, it's a little from column A and a little from column B and a little from column C. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes these things are happening and they're not intentional. There's not necessarily a nefarious actor behind the scenes. Um, for example, sometimes reviews on products could be fake, but they could be syndicated from somewhere else where they were created on mm -hmm. one site and then published on other sites down the line. And the person whose site or the digital commerce practitioner who has a site where those appear may not necessarily know they're fake. Uh, there could be artificial intelligence engines that are determining product positioning. So that's not a case where a buyer or a merchant just sets out to do wrong and rip off customers. In many cases, it's still not forgivable, but it's understandable, perhaps. Uh, sometimes, like you mentioned, there's just a a general pressure to sell more in tough economic times. And sometimes people will cut corners and do things that, you know, kind of there's a gray area on whether or not it's purely ethical. Um, that doesn't make it right, uh, but well, there's a lot of pressure out there. Um, margins are slim sometimes, and sometimes companies have to do whatever it takes to grow revenue. And then there are things that are just downright unethical. If there's counterfeit products where someone is selling and trying to represent that they're a brand that they're not, obviously those are nefarious actors that are ill-intentioned from the get-go. Marketers have a lot more digital toys at this point. I'm just curious in your experience whether there are newer capabilities or technologies that perhaps there is a knowledge gap or an experience gap that is causing marketers to fall into these pitfalls. Could be, yeah. If you think about emails that you receive or recommendations for products that you see online, a lot of times those are driven by personalization engines or marketing systems where it's not a person behind the scenes saying, insert this product into this email or into this carousel. It's some sort of engine that is doing that. And sometimes there's specific rules that drive those, but sometimes there's AI or machine learning that is determining those. Uh, like you said, there's lots of uh, tool sets that they have to do this. And a lot of times those are black boxes, or if they're not black boxes, they're black boxes maybe to the CMO uh, and not necessarily to the practitioners who are using them. So it is certainly possible that just with a growing tool set, the growth of AI, that some of this is happening without their knowledge. So we need to be, as marketers, up to date and savvy uh, with all this quickly developing technology, right? So let's go ahead and talk about some of these specific pitfalls. Again, you have a litany that you talk about. Um, what are some ethically dubious practices that might kind of sneak up on marketers that they might not even realize are unethical? Yeah, I'd say there's uh, three or four of them that really 
you know, at first glance, you might not think they're particularly unethical, but maybe when I describe them in a little bit more detail, I'll, I'll convince you if you're a skeptic. Um, <laughs> the first is, uh, and the first two are pretty similar, it's product positioning based on inventory counts. Uh, so what this essentially is, is if you have a product in a warehouse and you have a lot of them and you really need to get rid of them, and those are the products that you're positioning to customers ahead of other products that might be a better fit for the customer, uh, I would argue that is unethical. Uh, I would say a similar thing about positioning based on margin. Uh, your customers don't really care what your margin is on products. So if you're positioning products to customers based on margin instead of based on the product that they really need, uh, I would argue that is unethical. And I'll tell you the other two and then I can give you an example of uh, the first Great. two just to convince you a little further. Uh, shrinkflation and skimflation is another popular thing where your companies, because of economic pressure, have had to reduce the quantity potentially in their packaging or go with the ingredients that are not as high quality or materials that are not as high quality. That's shrinkflation and skimflation. And if you're not transparent about that to customers if they just think they're getting the same thing that they always got and they don't realize or you hide the fact that there's actually less of the product. I would say that is unethical. And then the fourth one is deceptive pricing. A lot of companies have done this for years where they arbitrarily give discounts on products or they say that products are reduced or slashed prices when in fact it's really just the same price that it's been sold at for a very long time. They just make it appear as if there's a heavy discount. Uh, that's also unethical. And as for the example, so, you know, I get a lot of um, pushback or questions about, well, that's just the way products have always been sold. If you have a lot of inventory, of course you push that product. Or if you have high margin, of course you push that product. Uh, but to me, just because it's always been done that way, that doesn't make it right. And the example I give is if I were an office supplies retailer and I were selling staplers and I had a a red stapler that my customers absolutely loved and they rave about it and they leave positive reviews and they tell me that they really like it and it's a fair price, let's say it's $5. Uh, but I have an overzealous buyer or merchant who went out and bought 100,000 blue staplers and the blue staplers just aren't the same quality. They're, they break sometimes, they don't get as high reviews, but they still cost $5. Well, if someone shows up on my website and they search for stapler and I choose to show them that blue stapler ahead of the red stapler, knowing that the red stapler is probably a better fit for them, uh, that's unethical. And I'm doing that based on my inventory counts in my warehouse, which my customers do not care about at all. They don't care how many I have. They just want the right stapler for them. And that's what I'm talking about when I talk about positioning based on inventory or margin. You know, when you and I were discussing this, I, I had asked you, well, how could, if, if a marketer pauses and thinks about this, how could they not realize that this is unethical? Like, how, how's that even and something you have to educate or convince on? And you had made, I thought, a really good point that uh, kind of the more people are involved, the less clear this becomes, right? Absolutely. Yeah. In any digital commerce scenario, there's lots of different systems and teams involved. The warehousing team and the team that manages the inventory and potentially the product information might be different than the marketing team, might be different than the commerce operations team, might be different than the promotions team and the personalization team. So it's not always a case of a, a marketer looking into the window of the warehouse and seeing the red staplers and the blue staplers and deciding, oh, I'm going to get rid of these blue staplers so much as 
someone telling them uh, we need to put these products on promotion or hey we need to boost these products and, and more than the other ones without them really understanding why yeah but we'll, we'll talk in a few minutes about why it really is to marketers benefit to police this a little bit again we'll go in more detail on that later on um, again as you're thinking about your list uh, out of all the pitfalls that you identified which would you call out as the most damaging? And that might be the most damaging to brands, the most damaging to the consumer. I don't know if that splits out or if it's the same ones for everybody, but what would you call out as being the most damaging potentially? Yeah, it's really counterfeit products in my mind. And this is mm. something that happens a lot more on marketplaces than it does on just brand D to C sites. But one of the trends we're seeing in digital commerce in general is a growing movement towards selling other people's things, not just your own. Even if you're a brand, sometimes you have complementary products on your site. If you sell shoes, but you don't sell socks, customers might want socks, so you might decide to sell socks also. Um, that doesn't necessarily make you a marketplace, but it does mean you're selling somebody else's stuff. Uh, and counterfeit products really can be detrimental to everyone involved, um, especially when you think about CPG products, food, beverages, pharmaceuticals, uh, equipment that you might use if you're buying a table saw and it's a fake table saw that's a big problem for you when it wears out or it breaks a month down the road uh, but especially pharmaceuticals for people that are taking medicine um, counterfeit goods in general cost the u.s economy 600 billion dollars a year according to the fbi so it's a big deal and when it happens it can really cause damage to consumers and obviously when consumers are injured or impacted by fake products, that's going to reflect poorly on the place where they bought the products. It's going to reflect poorly on the marketer who sold them. Uh, consumers don't tend to think, oh, well, I bought that product, but it was actually from another brand, so I'm not going to blame the site where I bought it. They just don't operate that way. They're going to blame the site where they bought it. So marketers have to be careful of that. You know, you've been in this world for so long. Um, just from your perspective, as you looked at this this list of pitfalls, um, was there anything there that was even surprising to you or that really caught your attention above the others? You know, when I started to look at them, um, I knew all these things existed. I don't think I realized what a massive problem they were until I started digging into some of those stats, like the $600 mm. billion dollars a year in counterfeit products. Uh, the, Euro the European Union said that counterfeit products account for 6.8% of total imports, and that's 121 wow. billion pounds. You know, it's just a tremendous amount. Uh, unauthorized sellers is another thing where companies are reselling products that they're not really authorized to sell, and that's a massive problem. Um, fake reviews are pervasive. So, you know, a lot of it is stuff that has been happening for years and, and truly could have happened long before digital commerce. People were faking Rolexes and selling them on the streets of New York long before uh, eBay was around to sell them there. Uh, no offense to eBay. Uh, but, you know, it's really just digital commerce that's caused it to grow quite a bit into this massive problem that it is today. Yeah, and keeping track of all of this is just getting harder and harder. We'll talk government more specifically in just a moment, but I want to focus on the brands for a minute. Um, you mentioned that it's kind of trendy right now for brands to turn their properties into a digital marketing marketplace. And you mentioned the ones that people know, right? Everyone knows Amazon and you mentioned eBay. Um, I believe you'd also mentioned Walmart is growing in that space. You called out others. I don't know if you want to mention some of the ones that we have internationally just to put them on people's radar, but there's a growing presence of these digital marketplaces. And you had made a great point. If a brand is turning their site into a marketplace, they naturally have a lot more opportunities for things to go ethically awry. 
Right. Well, the first thing is marketplaces come in a lot of flavors, like I was kind of alluding to earlier. There's the big ones that we all know, Amazon and eBay. And yes, Walmart is a marketplace in the U.S. and in some other regions. Uh, Mercado Libre in South America, Tmall and Alibaba are the, the biggest ones in China. Um, but like I said, there are certainly cases where you're not a full-fledged marketplace like Amazon. But if you're in the... Uh, auto parts industry, and maybe you manufacture a certain type of auto parts, you might decide that you want to source some other auto parts from suppliers that you know or manufacturers and sell them on your site. And that turns you into a marketplace when you're selling other people's products. Um, so that is growing quite a bit. <laughs> and it's really the reason that it's tough for marketplaces to really stay on top of this is the very nature of a marketplace is that you're going to expand your assortment often to categories that you don't manufacture or you don't source yourself. So inherently, you're going to start working with sellers that you might not really know. And if you want to expand fast, you might really not know them at all. You might let them sign up and sell online and you don't really have the opportunity to validate who they are or the products they're selling in all cases. And you can put some checks and balances in place, but there's only so much you can do in this sort of digital world of signing up sellers. And that really creates a scenario where it can be very hard for a marketplace operator to really have governance over all their sellers and all the products that they're listing on the marketplace. Um, the second thing about marketplaces is that often the marketplace operator is going to have to make decisions about how and where to position products in a way that a brand selling direct to consumer wouldn't have to do. And Potentially, those decisions are about which products to show when they're competing sellers or even potentially cases where sellers might be offering the same product as the marketplace operator, uh, the person who's creating the marketplace. And then there's some really difficult decisions about which product you show and why. Um, and then the final area that is really tough for marketplace operators and really one where there's not a clear set of rules and it often comes down to your ethics to decide how you're going to handle it is the use of data. Uh, as a marketplace operator, all of a sudden when you're selling other people's products, you're going to have a lot of data about the products that are not necessarily yours and about the sale of those products from third-party sellers. So how do you use that data? Do you use it to create your own products and compete with them? Do you use it in your negotiations with them? Uh, how far is too far? And, and there's a lot of gray areas there that that's another area where regulations are certainly coming, but uh, like you alluded to, that's just a big problem for marketplace operators to decide uh, what to do and what's right and what isn't. Where would they go to, aside from Lunch with Jason, where would they go to for guidance on that, right? When we're lacking the regulation, when, the mar when, when, when regulation is still trying to catch up, which it may not do for a long time, when it's too new to really have established norms, I mean, I guess we're all going by our inner compass, <laughs> but is there, where would they look to say, are the decisions I'm making um, walking that fine line between being an aggressive business person, right, versus maybe crossing some ethical boundaries? How, is there a way to get that guidance or is it truly we're making this up as we go? Yeah, it, it's not that um, cut and dry for sure in a lot of cases. I think there are some that are really obvious. If you are, and this is not to pick on Amazon, but this is why Amazon was called in front of Congress and the antitrust hearings to testify is they allegedly took products, product data from their third party sellers and then use that data to create their own products 
and then in some cases put those third-party sellers out of business. That is clearly right. unethical. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's an obvious one, and whether and there's regulations coming, and they've already been fined for that in Europe. So that's an obvious one. But there are others that maybe aren't as obvious, like taking the data and using it um, to determine whether or not they should source products themselves, maybe not make their own, but source them or use them in negotiations with sellers. Uh, generally speaking, I would advise a company that when you do these sorts of things, think about whether or not it's good for just you. Is it good for you and the sellers that are selling on your marketplace? And third, if it's good for you, the sellers, and your customers who are ultimately buying the products. If the answer is yes to all three of those, then you're good to go. If it's no to all three of those or two of those, then there's a problem. In between, have a conversation with someone whose ethics you trust. <laughs> there you go. And see where yes. you end up. <laughs> you know, so it, it, it would seem based on everything you've been talking about that it would really behoove marketers to police this pretty vigilantly. Like even though there's other people involved, it behooves them to care. To start, you know, assuming that marketers didn't strike out to intentionally engage in unethical practices, that's kind of its own category. Um, what are some of the red flags that marketers should be on the lookout for? How would they know that they have their own e-commerce ethics problem in the making? Yeah, first and foremost, there's got to be mechanisms for customers to actually provide feedback mm. about products, um, either that they were fake or that they were poor quality or that the sellers didn't act ethically or that they read something that they didn't agree with. Um, so marketers can certainly monitor that. And if it doesn't exist and if there's no way for consumers or customers to actually do that, then putting that in place would be a priority. Um, sometimes, depending on the software technology that you're using to sell products, the applications themselves can provide some guidance, like rating and review applications can provide ways for sellers to monitor reviews or to moderate reviews to make sure that they're real. Uh, they can detect fake reviews sometimes if they see that uh, there's 100 reviews and 95 of them came from an IP address that matches the address of the company selling it, then chances are there's something wrong there. Uh, so they can do that. Um, they can even put policies in place, for example, to mandate that reviews only come from verified purchases. So there are certain strategies and tactics that marketers can take to make sure that happens. Um, and then they can also monitor merchandisers and buyers who have control over the way products are positioned and sold online. Like we talked about earlier, it's not just a case of a marketer with their finger on the button to launch a product. In many cases, on robust retailer sites or digital commerce sites, there's merchandisers and, mark and buyers and marketers who are creating promotions and who are pricing products and creating discounts and some oversight of what they're doing is important also to make sure that they're not acting in an unethical way. You had mentioned inventory levels could be a good signal. Yeah, possibly. If you, uh, you know, see that there was um, a million of a product in the warehouse one day and then a few days later they were gone, um, how did that happen? If you gave a discount to the customer and said, we bought too many of these and your lucky day, Mr. Customer, we're going to get rid of them. Um, that's one thing. If they were sold at the original price and they were positioned potentially in front of other products or the other products didn't sell during that time, then that could be a red flag. One would hope, and I think this is usually the case, that acting ethically has its benefits in the end, right? And this case is no exception. Talk for a minute, if you would, about the direct benefit to marketers 
of getting their ethical house in order on this front, aside from just doing the right thing, which is its own reward, why is it to their benefit to really be on top of this? How does this benefit their brand and probably them professionally? Yeah, ultimately, customers notice this sort of thing. Uh, and customers don't forget. And a lot of times, customers will choose to go elsewhere when they have a bad experience. It's not entirely fair, but if you've served a customer well for many years, but they have one very bad experience, they get a fake product or a counterfeit product or something like that, they're not gonna come back. Um, and that's difficult because it could just happen one time, but it could have lasting effects. And customers do notice these things. And when they do, their reaction to them often has material impacts to the places where they buy. 34% um, of customers note that fake reviews will make them lose trust in a brand altogether. And 25% will not buy from a site that they even suspect has fake reviews. So that's, a, that's quite a bit of loss when it comes to not just customers, but ultimately orders down the road. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, the government getting involved because avoiding uh, fines and punishment through regulatory means is, is probably a good career move as well. What are some examples of what you're seeing on the government front right now? Yeah, and it's not just the fines, it's the black eye of being in the news, noting that you were fined, that probably is even more detrimental than the fines themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, I would say the fines that I've seen, even though they're big numbers, when uh, you and I toss them around, they're not necessarily commensurate with the profit that a lot of these companies probably earned when it comes to doing some of these things. But we have seen quite a bit of this in the last couple of years. I, I mentioned Amazon being called to testify before Congress. Uh, they were fined $1.3 billion in Italy for positioning sellers who use their logistics services ahead of sellers who don't. Uh, the Chinese government fined Alibaba $2.8 billion for breaking anti-monopoly laws when they told sellers they couldn't go sell on other marketplaces. Um, the Indian government's investigating Flipkart. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, there was a company called The Bountiful Company that was fined $600,000 by the FTC in the U.S. for review hijacking, which is similar to fake reviews. So it's coming. Uh, it's going to happen more and more. And I think sometimes companies think, well, that's only going to happen to the Amazons of the world. And that's not necessarily the case. There are examples of much smaller companies getting fined or at least being uh, called out in the press and noted that they acted unethically. And, and that's going to be really problematic for them. You know, that's, that's such an interesting point that the amount of the fines themselves might not be a sufficient deterrent. But but would you consider these almost a shot over the bow at this point where there's a, a bigger crackdown coming? And this is like your chance to deal with that smaller fine and then not run into bigger problems down the line. Yeah, absolutely. If you were to look at these fines on a trend line, they probably would have been zero four or five years ago because we just didn't hear about this that much. And we've started to see governments forming committees to look at this and forming regulatory bodies and I have to believe that these fines, even though they're not looking at the amount of profit they these companies got when they create the find, um, like you said, it's this is just the beginning. And at some point, they're going to say, uh, we're not making a material impact with how much we're finding, so we're going to have to step it up. And then it could really dent their bottom lines. So let's talk about what to do. Uh, let's say I'm a marketer. My team has just realized that our brand is having some of these e-commerce ethical issues. What do I do? Well, the first good step is stop doing it. <laughs> that one's probably obvious. There you go. <laughs> but, <laughs> and end of episode. Yes, stop. <laughs> yes. Uh, stop doing it immediately. Um, but then there's some investigation and some education that needs to take place. So everyone needs to understand first, why is this thing unethical? Like we talked about earlier, some of these 
not everyone will realize that they were doing something wrong. And in their defense, these are the way products have been sold for a long time, so they may not really know, but it's important for everyone to know why it's unethical. Give them my stapler example if you have to, but uh, it's important to understand that. And then really to understand what caused it to occur. Like we said, it could be a nefarious buyer or merchant, or it could have just been a vendor system or an AI engine that you weren't really controlling as well as you should have. Uh, then it's important to understand what changes have been made in order to stop it from happening again and any new policies that result from that change. If you used to position based on inventory and you're not going to anymore, then, and that's a new policy, then that's great. Uh, it's also to un important to understand the impact that some of these things could have had to customers. If you showed fake reviews to X number of customers and there were X number of conversions, uh, it's important to quantify that and the revenue that might have come along with it. And then finally, it's important to be transparent to customers about what happened and why and what's being done to rectify it. Um, customers might be upset that this happened, but like we've seen many examples of this in the past, if you're honest and you say we made a mistake and this is what we're doing from now on, that's the best way to approach it. I do think you're much more culpable if you're a D2C site selling direct to consumers with a single brand. Um, Marketplaces, by their very nature, can be very vast, like we said. And while I don't want to give them a pass and say they have no responsibility because they do, it is unrealistic to think that any marketplace is going to be able to guarantee every single product they sell, every review is authentic, every seller is acting on their best behavior. Um, like I said, you need to provide mechanisms to uncover that. But for brands selling direct to consumer, where they have a much smaller set of SKUs, they're responsible for the products, they own the inventory, there's far fewer excuses. And doing these sorts of practices, it's really inexcusable. And if they occur, they need to be rectified very quickly. Any final thoughts for marketers as they're thinking through, you know, what is the ethics landscape for how we're doing business? What are the red flags we're looking for? How do I think strategically about avoiding these pitfalls moving into the future? Any final thoughts for them? Yeah, a few. Um, I would say both brands and marketplace operators, retailers, distributors, wholesalers, etc., should have a general awareness that this is occurring and understand why these things are occurring and why they're unethical and that they could be happening on any site, uh, sites that you own or maybe even sites that you sell on. If you're a brand and you sell on a marketplace and this is happening on the marketplace, it's very relevant to you. So just because you're not a marketplace operator, most brands these days are participating in marketplaces and this is important for them to know. Uh, for marketplaces, like I said, I, I really believe it's important for them to not necessarily guarantee and look at every product that's on the marketplace. I recognize that's unrealistic, but provide mechanisms for rectifying these situations when they occur. And be careful about the way you use data. Uh, think about whether or not you would want everyone, consumers, sellers, to know how you're using data. And if the answer is not, yes, we're okay with that, then there could be a problem. You know, to me, Dorian, what it ultimately comes down to is you have to be honest with yourself when you're selling products online. Are you really trying to increase revenue at the expense of the value that you're creating for your customers? Or are you really trying first and foremost to always create value for your customers and then just earning a profit in the process? I mean, that's the real purpose of business. And I feel like, especially in tough economic times, a lot of companies are going to get away from that, and that's what's going to lead them to some of these unethical practices. 
uh, in terms of where clients can look for further support. So I've got a little bit of research on this on Gartner.com. I've got more coming in the future, I hope. I have at least one Gartner event presentation on the horizon, and I'm talking about this with clients and vendors, so I'd love to talk more about it. So you're saying the ethics issue, not going away. People are going to need help moving forward, and we've got it for them. Yeah, not going away, and the government's going to get more involved, so it's just going to get more and more interesting, and there's going to be more and more marketplaces. So this is scaling up, not scaling down. Buckle up, and all of you are now in the know and equipped to deal with it. So Jason Daigler, thank you so much for making time to share your expertise with us today. And thanks to all of you for listening in, and we hope to see you on our next Hashtags episode. Take care. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.